You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus um, at the end of chapter 13 and mainly in chapter 14, um, the famous Red Sea crossing. As you're turning there, as you're preparing your hearts, I know it's going to be on the screen here actually now. Um, when is a time that you felt foolish? That's my question. I want you to think about it. One of the times that I felt foolish that impressed itself on me was in a summer between semesters in college. I was back in East Texas working in an electrical crew doing construction um, at a school, building a new school. And the boss, the foreman, my foreman always liked to give me a hard time, and I was super sensitive, more sensitive than I am now. And he called me over to look at the battery of a big rig truck that didn't work. And I know nothing, I barely know anything about gasoline-powered automobiles, much less 18-wheelers. And so he wanted me to tell him where the battery was on this 18-wheeler. And I didn't know that it's not in, in the front of the driver, it's actually behind. And he was shaming me, and he said, it's like, what have you been doing since you graduated high school? And I mumbled, I'm in college. And there was this sense of me feeling more and more foolish that my manliness was going down into the dirt of East Texas, and I felt stupid and dumb and an exposed and speechless. And so what does it feel like for you, or when has a time been for you that you felt foolish? Maybe if you can remember asking somebody on a date, and whether they said yes or no, it didn't matter. You just felt foolish for asking them on a date. Maybe interviewing for a job, maybe for your first job, or maybe you were looking for a new job. I think it's not hard in COVID when you're navigating all everything to feel foolish. You run into a grocery store to get something really quick, and you realize as you're going in, I left my mask. I know I have 100 masks, but I left them at home. <laughs> and this grocery store is not giving away free masks. And you feel foolish because then you have to turn around and go back. It's Like I said earlier, everything is harder in COVID, and so it, it makes it easier to feel foolish. But then on Zoom and video conference calls and your boss calls you out and asks you a question, and you've been there scrolling through Instagram the whole time, not paying attention, it's easy to feel foolish. And when we feel foolish, how do we normally feel? We feel speechless, stupid, dumb exposed, like our sanity and our reasonableness is being called into question. And I think deep down for some of us, this is what it feels like to be a Christian in the 21st century. For following God, for trying to figure out following faithfully, at least that's what we're afraid of. Even if most of our life is lived right now in our bubble and we don't interact with a lot of people, we're afraid that as soon as we walk into the public sector, we're going to feel foolish as a Christian and for following Christ. 
in our passage this morning, God's people start feeling foolish for following God out of slavery. God has shown them amazing wonders and set them free, but now it seems that they're caught by the Egyptians. They're on their way out of Egypt. The plagues have happened. God has killed the firstborn sons of the Egyptians and spared the firstborn sons of the Israelites, and he's leading them out. And that's where we pick up this passage. We're going to read a couple of verses in chapter 13, and then we'll skip down and read verse 1 through 9 in chapter 14. So this is God's Word. Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Then skipping down to chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we've done, that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahirath in front of Baal Zephon. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that in the next short while that you would meet us, that you would speak to us. We are desperate for a word from you because we do feel beat up and lonely and anxious and foolish at times, just living in a broken politically divisive, pandemic-ridden, difficult world. So would you speak to us this morning? We need you to speak. You promised to speak using your word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that has lived for all of eternity with you and the Son, and the same Spirit that lives inside of believers. Would you speak to us this morning from your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This story is pretty incredible. Um, it's one of the more famous stories in the Bible in the Old Testament. If you mention the parting of the Red Sea to most anybody in Western culture, it, what's that? If they're, old if they're old enough. But I would even say a younger generation, at least the students who are in college right now, they all have some picture of their head of what's going on. 
Maybe it's because for an older generation, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston were reading the Bible, but for younger ages, that it's the, the Prince of Egypt. They have something in their mind, it's intercultural imagination of the Red Sea crossing and the parting. So it's impressive, it is massive, it leaves an imprint on our imagination. So what's going on? The angel of death has swept through Egypt. God has brought about the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt and spared the Israelites. Pharaoh has now commanded Moses to take the people out of Egypt, and he's begged Moses to pray that the Lord would bless him and the other Egyptians as well as the Israelites depart. And so all the hundreds of thousands of people of Israel, it's not a small amount, this large mass of the people of Israel are leaving a kingdom that has oppressed them and enslaved them for 400 years. Talk about society-wide PTSD. When we get to this, then we get to this really curious moment in the Bible at the end of chapter 13. I'm actually going to read it again from verses 17 and 18 because I want to highlight something. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. For us living in Tucson, Marana, Tucson metro area in 2021, that didn't mean much. But for somebody reading the Exodus story, familiar with the geography there and familiar with the ancient Near East, this would be a red flag. This is not the right way to go. This is not a direct route. This is if I said, hey, we're going to take a church-wide road trip and we're going to go to Flagstaff by way of Albuquerque. <laughs> They're somewhat loosely in the same kind of not really direction, but you could get there by looping around. They'll be delayed in Egypt a lot longer. You would think that God would want to get them out of Egypt and start getting them prepared to be his people as soon as possible. Otherwise, they'll turn back and want to be, keep on pretending to be Egyptians again because that's what they were doing. And he tells them then to set out towards the Red Sea, and then he tells them to set up camp right next to the Red Sea, facing the Red Sea. There's no way to escape. God has led them into a dead end. There's no way out. There is no freedom. This is foolish. And Pharaoh picks up on it as well. He says in verse 3 of chapter 14, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. He's essentially saying they're lost. They're idiots. We're idiots for letting them go. Let's go get them back. And so Pharaoh gathers up his chariots and his crack troops and really all of his armies and goes after the Israelites. And the Israelites see them coming. It's like the Old West movies where you see somebody, or actually here in Arizona, especially here in, in Miranda, when you see a truck coming from far away through a field, you see the dust rising before you ever see the truck. That's what's happening. They see the dust rising. They see them in a distance. And so what do they do? They freak out. I'm going to continue to read in verse 10 through 12. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes 
And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The Egyptians are coming. They see the threat. They can't see a way forward. Following God appears to them to be foolish. They're anxious. They're afraid. And they respond with sarcasm and anger. They start thinking and saying that it would have been better to never follow God at all. And they question whether or not they should be following God. My guess is that many of us have struggled with that too. If not right now, at least sometime in our past or at least sometime in the future, when do we feel like this? Likely you've been in a situation where your life, well, it's, some of us have been in a situation where our lives were threatened because we followed Christ. We have a lot of freedom in the United States, and hopefully that hasn't happened to most of us. And so we haven't been in a situation like that, but when do you feel like this? When have you felt like submitting to Christ as your king and following after the Lord has made you foolish? You think sometimes maybe, yeah, this was okay when I was younger, but now that I have the responsibility of being a spouse, of being a parent, of having a job, of caring for other people, of having responsibilities in the midst of a pandemic, this all seems like foolishness in my past that I just need to move past, and I just got to focus on what's right in front of me. This is foolish, we think. I don't have time for this. Or you feel the pressure of friends at school or cousins or family members at a Thanksgiving table who don't believe the same things you do, people who look down on Christians as repressed and backwards, and we're tempted to think, this is foolish. Have I just been deceived? Am I letting myself be deceived? We watch people get ahead in unethical ways in business or in other jobs, and we think, man, Christianity is foolish. If we're single, we watch guys and girls dating or hook up, and it appears that they feel accepted and special through the midst of that, and we think about our own loneliness, and we think, man, my Christianity is foolish. Or we think of all the things that we've done doing those things before we became a Christian, and we feel guilty, and we don't like the feeling of feeling guilty, and we think, man, is this all just foolishness? We hear political people on the left or the right who aren't living or as Christians or making fun of Christians and Christian principles, and we think, is Christianity worth it? Is this foolish? We've watched Christians legitimately for not good reasons, appearing to be fools on television. And we think, is following Jesus really foolish? Should I quit? But it's not just ethics, is it? It's not just principles. It's some of the foundational beliefs of Christianity that go in the face of what feels normal in living in this world. For some of us, at a basic level, it's the existence of God in general that feels foolish, or a God that cares about what we do with our lives, or our body, or our money. 
And people think we're crazy for that. And we think, man, it seems foolish to submit my life to someone that I can't even see. We struggle with the Bible. Christians claim that it's God's Word and that it's inerrant and infallible, but then we hear people or we read people on blogs, or we hear the voices of old professors if we've been to college, or we hear commentators on specials around Easter time or Christmas time comment on how the Bible cannot be trusted because there's so many contradictions. Side note, there's not actually really a lot of contradictions in the overall arching story. would love to talk to you later about that. We can actually trust the Bible, but that's a different sermon. Um, but we start hearing the voices of friends and people we care about or people that we see as positions of authority and think, am I really just foolish for believing this? Or if we're not Christians here this morning or we're struggling with our faith and think maybe we're not, we think, am I a fool for ever even considering this? We start wondering if it would have been better to never be a Christian. The Israelites vocally expressed this in their anxiety about their foolishness. So what do you and I do when we feel this foolishness? You and I struggle and lash out. We get angry at ourselves for feeling embarrassed or foolish. We feel stupid. We feel like maybe we shouldn't be a Christian. We, so we try to walk away. Or we daydream about walking away as we sit at home in the midst of the pandemic. Or we lash out against somebody that cares about us, like a parent or a spouse or friends who are Christian, instead of legitimately wrestling and being honest about our struggle. We let the foolishness and the anxiety drive us to lash out. And instead of wrestling through and looking for honest answers, we start picking and choosing what we think is Christian and good from the Bible in the way that we live or the what we believe, and we start chunking out parts of Scripture that we think are too difficult. We essentially try to live with one foot in Egypt and one foot following God. And this is really no better than if the people just surrendered at the Red Sea. And that's really what they wanted to do. But that's not what happened. What happens next in the story? The Israelites were scared. They felt foolish because they could no longer see the bigger picture that lay ahead. They struggled to trust God and began to freak out as the Pharaoh's army came crashing towards them. And so how does Moses respond to them? What does he tell them to do? He doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, do better. He doesn't say, all right, go out there and fight Pharaoh. Instead, let's read verse 13 and 14. Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. With the whole Israelite army about to come and crush them, what does Moses tell them to do? He says, wait, be silent, trust the Lord, he will prove himself faithful. And this is really about all they can do, right? Now, they could step back and surrender and plead mercy to Pharaoh. I don't know how well that would have gone for them. But Moses says to them, wait, be silent, watch and see what the Lord will do. He will not abandon you. Instead, he will wipe out the threat that you have been so afraid of, that has enslaved you. 
It's no better that you would have stayed in Egypt. It's no better that you should be enslaved to Pharaoh. God rescued you already. He will not abandon you. You belong to Him. He will not abandon you. Wait. Be silent. Watch. This is the invitation to us as well. When we feel that we are foolish for following God, when we feel foolish for being a Christian in 21st century United States and submitting ourselves to learning about God by coming to worship, by being in a community group, by studying the Bible, God's invitation to us is the same. Wait. You only have to wait and be silent and watch and see what the Lord will do. But waiting on the Lord, what does that look like? What does that look like for us? Honestly, my first encouragement is to be honest with that sense of feeling of foolishness. Be honest with it. Otherwise, if you stuff it down and try to ignore it, it's only going to come out in a different way, and it will come out in the anxiety. It'll come out in anger and sarcasm and lashing out. Or it'll come out in ways where you're trying to distract yourself from it by throwing yourself into addictions or checking out. Be honest with your struggle. Talk about it with another Christian. Talk to your community group about it. Talk to Bruce about it. Talk to me about it. Come down, we'll walk around the campus at the U of A and we'll talk about it. If you try to hide it and stuff it down, it will only get worse. Be honest about it. Honestly articulate it. But then what do the people do? They look to God. They actually, they don't often do it well. This time they do actually do. They look to God. They wait for God. They don't start heading back to Egypt. That's a significant thing that they didn't say, all right, we're revolting against you, Moses. We're going to give up. They don't start making deals of Pharaoh. They resist reacting out of their anxiety. They're anxious, they've expressed it, but they don't react out of it. Instead, they wait and watch, and God invites them to trust Him. God invites us to trust Him as well, to wait for Him, to watch for Him, watch for how He might be working soon if we don't see it right now. Y'all remember that the Israelites have no idea what's happening next. We've read this story if we grew up in Sunday school, or if we did the year-long Bible plan, because we probably have actually passed this point. If we've done the year-long Bible plan, we normally crash out in Exodus 28. So we've read this plan. So we remember this story. We know what's going to happen next. For kids, we've seen the Prince of Egypt. We know what's going to happen next. But they didn't know. And you and I, in our situations where we feel foolish, have just as much non-knowing we have no idea what's coming next in our life. We don't know what's going to happen next with our church, with the United States, on a more local level, in our families, with our children, with our spouses, if we're single, with our singleness. We don't know what's going to happen to some situation where we feel foolish for walking as a Christian. Sometimes we think that we are supposed to know what's going to happen next, but the reality is that we are just as uncertain of, of what's going to happen as the Israelites were in this moment. God invited them to wait for Him and watch for Him, and that's what He invites us to do. Wait on Him. Watch for Him. So what do the people do? So, sorry, how do we wait? We wait by resisting our anxiety 
being honest about it, but not making a decision based on the anxiety. Instead, look for ways that God might be working. Ask, like I said, other Christians, ask Bruce, ask your elders, ask people in your community group, be honest with the struggle, and ask for feedback from them about how God might be working in a situation. The people wait for God. They look to God, and then what happens? We don't, I don't have it printed for us to read, but a pillar, God brings a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, and he blocks the way of the Egyptians from coming towards them. Then God has Moses stretch his arms over the Red Sea, and God blows a strong wind in from the east against the sea, and it peels the water back, and there's towering water, wall, watery walls, walls of water on either side, and a dry path through the Red Sea. And the Bible says in verse 22, the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. The people walked by faith. The future in front of them was still uncertain. They could not guarantee that the water would not fall on them, but they could trust the one who parted the waters. That's what God invites us to as well. We don't know what lies ahead of us into the holiday season, into 2021, into the future of this church. But we do know the one who parts the waters and provides a way. Even when we've felt fools for following God, God doesn't abandon us. Instead, he invites us to trust him, to take a step toward where he is leading. I know that seems unclear, and it is unclear, but God has given us Christian community and community groups, and the Holy Spirit to help us learn His way from the Bible. He revealed His character in the Bible and in the person of Jesus so that we could trust Him as we seek to walk through all of the uncertainty that lays before us in our life. I know it's scary. I know that life is uncertain. But God doesn't promise certainty in life situations but he promises that he is certainly faithful and trustworthy and able. That's what he promises the Israelites. That's what he promises us. So how does this section of this story close? The people step foot on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea, and after they enter the water and are close to the other side, God removes the pillar of smoke and removes the pillar of fire and the whole host of the Egyptian army and chariots begin to flood in to the dry path in the sea. But then God throws the Egyptians into a panic. That's what the Scriptures actually says. The horses panic. The wheels get suck, stuck. The soldiers panic. They're confused. They're afraid. God is throwing them all into a panic, and they're moving slowly. And then as soon as the Israelites get out on the other side, God has Moses raise his arms again from the other side of the sea, and the water comes crashing back down, violently drowning and destroying the Egyptian army. Though following God seemed foolish, God himself shows to be faithful to the Israelites by completely rescuing them and eliminating the threat that they were so afraid of. 
Y'all, this is a fascinating story. And it's impressed into our minds, and it's easy for us to think, ah, that happened a long time ago, or maybe that never happened at all. But if we slow down and think deeper, it's not only a real story, and I would say a factual story, it's a story of our hearts. We so often feel foolish for following God. We get anxious and we panic and we cry out or we lash out or we do things that we're ashamed of. And we consider leaving God, if not for a long time, at least for 15 minutes. But God tells us to wait on Him, to watch for Him, and, take, and to take a step of faith to follow Him. We don't know what lies ahead, but we do know the one walking with us and before us, the one who can bring all the plagues on Egypt, the one who can part the Red Sea. But in our foolishness, so often we run away from God. We want to return to Egypt. We want to return to the seeming security of slavery. And often we think and we live like we do. So God, in an act of divine foolishness, entered creation as a human man, Jesus. And he appeared to be the greatest fool of all by claiming to be God. And he, he continued his foolish endeavor by laying down his life for people who hated him. But then he proved himself faithful. He parted the waters of death. He rose again from the dead and to eliminate the threat of death for those who believed. He showed himself to be the true king over creation, and he extends his grace to us even when we don't deserve it. He invites us to follow him in faith even when the world views us as foolish. He invites us not to do better or to fight Pharaoh. He invites us to be silent, to look to him, to watch for him, because he has claimed us in his love, as his daughters and his sons. So would you take a step of faith with me? Even if it's just a little bit more than it already has been this week. To trust that God goes with us and before us and behind us into the unknown. Would you do that with me?